Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word Podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. We are nearing the end of Old Testament, or sorry, <laughs> Old Testament survey. Oh, wow. Okay, New Testament survey, and we have completed Old Testament. Uh, we are down to the second book of John. So um, remember the the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, they are three letters that were written to the churches. Uh, and so um, these are to the end of, of uh, John's life where he is in Ephesus. Um, and these would have been written between 85 and 95 um, AD. And so they are the, some of the last writings other than Revelation that he does in his lifetime. And so for, for those of you who aren't aware, he, um, at about 75 AD, uh, after Timothy's uh, martyrdom in Ephesus, he actually moves uh, to Ephesus to take over the, the church. And so it becomes the ministry hub for the entire church at that point. Um, and then by the time we get uh, about 100 years out or so, uh, there's actually three different um, headquarters for the church. It's grown that big. Um, and so, we'll, you know, we cover that a little bit in the history, um, but by about 300 AD, we have three distinct branches of the church um, is in how they have spread to different regions and continents. Um, okay, so let's go back and let's look at our who, what, when, where, all of those things for the book of Second John. Um, now, we have covered the book of First John, and so we're moving on to Second John today. Uh, obviously, this is written by John, the apostle that Jesus loved. He's also the one who um, took over Jesus's responsibilities as the oldest son to take care of Mary for the rest of her life. Um, and, and why it was him doing that, not one of his brother's. Uh, Jesus's brothers, we really don't know. We just know that Jesus at the cross looks at John and says, behold your mother. Um, and so kind of looks at them and says, this is mother's son now. Um, and so there's something beautiful that happens in that because huh, that, that there's, that's that level of intimacy and friendship is the, the experience that John had with Jesus. And so that is the writer of Second John. He is the last of the living apostles at this point. He is the last eyewitness um, of the apostles left. Um, and so if you remember back to Peter and some of the others asking him who was going to be at his right hand, and he said what, you know, he was talking to Peter about what he would endure in suffering and hardship. Um, and he kind of alluded to the fact that um, John was going to be one of the last living. Um, and what was it to Peter if that was his it, what he had decided? Um, and so it's kind of just interesting because that's exactly what happens. Peter and Paul were both killed at Nero's reign, um, and they, uh, they died martyr's death, both of them. All right, so let's move on. Um, like I told you a little bit earlier, John was in uh, Ephesus when he wrote this. And so in this letter specifically, uh, it is addressed to the elect lady. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute and who that is. I'm going to leave that a little bit of a mystery right now. Um, the why of this book was to warn against heresy and false teachers. Uh, the key verse is Second John verse 8. 
And it says, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. All right, so we're going to go dive in here a little bit in the book of John. You know, this is one of the shorter books, so I think I'm just going to read the entire thing. It's only 13 verses long. Um, And the one thing I want you to listen for as I read this is listen to the cloaked language Um, because this letter was written at a time where obviously John was feeling the need to be subtle and a little bit secretive. So I want you to just listen. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us for forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. Just as we have received commandment to do from the Father, now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you as a new commandment, but as the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Uh, Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be full. Your, uh, the children of your chosen sister greet you. So you can feel the difference in this letter from the book of 1 John. Um, the book of 1 John, like just to read that last chapter 5 a little bit, uh, verse 13 of chapter 5, these things I've written to you that you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You can feel the difference, can't you? And then he ends it with, little children, guard yourself from idols. In this letter, he is really strongly um, cloaking things. Uh, He's obscuring um, who he's writing to. Um, So as I've read that, I'm curious to see what your thoughts would be. And I wish we were in a little bit more of a Bible study format almost where I could hear you talk back. But the chosen lady here is actually uh, the nation of Israel. Um, in the body of Christ, uh, the bride of Christ, um, and her children. Um, And so these are the followers. Um, And so this would be the early church, is basically the lady and her children is the early church. It is the followers of Jesus, no matter what background, whether they come out of the Jewish faith or Gentile. Uh, And so he's talking about them. He's talking about finding, he was being very glad in verse 4 that he found some of your children walking in truth, uh, which implies that there were many that aren't walking in truth any longer. 
Um, And so the interesting thing here is many deceivers have gone into the world. They do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. I want you to notice that the king, the, the point of pivot is always, always, always on who people say Jesus is. That seems to be the biggest area of contention um, with false religion, false beliefs, that kind of thing, is that they will deny some aspect of who Jesus is. They will deny whether, you know, he really died on the cross, whether he really rose again. They'll, you know, they'll deny whether he was really the son of God, whether he was really uh, human when he was here on earth. They'll deny something. And what we see in the early church, actually, uh, is we see them convene church councils. And we get things like the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. And we get different statements that the body of Christ as a whole put together to unify believers. And the interesting thing is the first council affirms the deity of Christ, that that he was God. He was the son of God. He was fully divine when he was here on earth. The second council affirms his humanity, um, that he was also fully man, even though he was fully divine. Um, And so while he was here on earth, he was fully man. And so isn't that just interesting that the two things that are attacked the most are already being attacked in the letter of 2 John? Um, And so I want you to kind of understand that Satan doesn't use news tactics. He's still at it, and he's still doing this very thing today. Anything he can do to the body of Christ to get them to think that Jesus is something other than what he is or who he is, um, Satan's won a twist. And when you twist once, you can really get people off base. Um, It's kind of like a trajectory, right? When we are not perfectly in line with scripture, we will eventually end up far from the truth if we continue on a diverged path. Um, the same thing goes here. He is really admonishing the church to hold fast to who Christ is um, and to hold fast to loving one another and to obeying God's commands. Well, where are God's commands found? They're found in the scriptures. They're found in the word of God. Um, and if you're not in the word of God, can you really know truth? Can you really walk in his commands? Um, the letter, that the second letter of John that he writes to the church, um, I think is very pivotal for us today. I think if John were alive, he'd probably look at us and say, well, I've already penned that letter, and that'll, that'll fit very well with what's going on in today's age. Um, so, all right, let's look a little bit more. Uh, verse 9, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Now, this should sound pretty familiar, because if you turn to the Gospel of John, you're going to hear something very, very similar. Now, why? Well, because John wrote that too. Um, And he wrote the, the Gospel of John Um, several years after the other gospel accounts were written and put together and probably circulated. Um, And his his gospel was probably written um, 
out of a request from the early church to look over the other Gospels and include anything that he felt needed to be um, added. And keep in mind, the purpose of the Gospels was firsthand accounts of the life of life and teaching of Christ. Um, and so, of course, John is the last remaining apostle. It's becoming more and more important that they record anything and everything that can be um, remembered. Now, um, John talks a lot in chapters 13, 14, and 15 about abiding. Um, And so this should sound very familiar. Let me turn to one of those passages. Um, Let's go to John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Um, Verse 12, this is my command, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. All right, now I want you to realize whose words these are. This is John recording Jesus' very words. Um, And so you can see that in John 15. Think about how much that mirrors this. If anyone goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, he does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and Son. Now, if we go up a couple of verses, now, verse 5, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new command, but one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commands. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that we should walk in it. Okay, so John is perfectly mirroring what he's already written to them in the Gospel of John that are Jesus's actual words in John 15, 7 through, you know, like down, well, actually the entire chapter of 15. And so you can feel the mirroring, can't you? He's given them just enough to make them go, oh, wait a minute, I remember. You know, John's account of the gospel, Jesus said these words. He's right. These are the commands that we've always had. They also would have remembered all the way back to Deuteronomy um, and the Ten Commandments because Jesus says that all of the Ten Commandments are summed up with two, loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so if you're looking at the Ten Commandments, Several of them are vertical commands about our relationship with the Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, um, you know, that you will not make a graven image. Um, Several of those are vertical about our vertical relationship with the Lord. The rest of the Ten Commandments are relational. And so if you're looking at the image of a cross, you've got the, the cross goes north and south, up towards heaven and down to the earth. And then you've got a part of the cross that goes sideways, um, connects thief to thief (laughs) through the arms of Jesus. Um, Here's the thing. The commandments have those two pieces. They have the vertical relationship with God and they have the horizontal relationship with others, Um, those inside the body of Christ and those outside. Um, That is 
the biggest summary of Christ's teachings of the Old Testament law um, is it all goes back to our vertical relationship with the Lord and our horizontal relationship with others, which is a beautiful imagery of the cross, isn't it? Um, okay, so let me think here if there's anything else I want to add to this. But I love how even in verse 12 of the second letter of John, he says, though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to put them in pen and ink. I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be full. Is that not just a beautiful mirroring yet again of John chapter 15 and Jesus saying, um, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I just love the beautiful connection and the synergy between John's writings. Now, I'm going to go ahead and I think roll into the third letter of John and we'll put these two together because honestly, they share the same cloaked language. Um, they're written about the same time. Uh, and honestly, they, they, um, I think they really have the same kind of synergy that John's writings have. So let's keep going, okay? Um, so I'm going to read the third letter of John, but first let's do our who, what, when, where. Um, so with the, the book of third John, again, it's John, but this is a letter to Gaius. Now this is where it's incredibly amazing to stop and do a little bit of a word search on somebody and see if he's mentioned anywhere else. Um, because Gaius is somebody who has long been faithful to the, to the, um, to the new believers. He is, um, uh, honestly, okay, let's, let's start where we first see Gaius. Um, he is actually a relative, a native of Derby. Um, and so this would sound familiar because think Paul's missionary journeys. Um, he actually becomes a part of the, uh, group of travelers that go with Paul. And we first see him mentioned in Acts 19 and 20. Um, he is one of two drug into the theater by uh, Demetrius, a silversmith who causes this big, huge riot. Um, okay, so we first see Gaius there. We also see Gaius in um, Acts chapter 20, uh, where he is accompanying um, accompanying Paul. Uh, and, you know, he's with Timothy at that point. He's with a whole bunch of people, but he's one of several that are going with Paul on his missionary journey into Macedonia and Greece. Um, and so we can kind of see that, you know, that would have been around 50, 52 um, AD. And so here we are in the third letter of John, which is written between 85 and 95 AD. And so Gaius is still faithful. This is like 30 years of faithful following Jesus and, and not only just following, but being a leader within the body of Christ. Um, and so we can tell that he's a leader here, um, but he's earned John's respect. I mean, look at verse one, um, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, this is John. This isn't Paul, because remember, Paul's gone at this point. Um, and so Basically, what you had is you had a lot of the um, the main apostles had stayed in Jerusalem as a council or wisdom to organize the early church in those first several 20, 30 years 
after Christ's death and resurrection and him heading to heaven. Um, And so they stayed mainly in Jerusalem. And so you had Paul coming to faith and then, you know, him doing missionary journeys out and around to the regions and then coming in to report to Jerusalem on what he was doing and what he was finding and how Gentiles were being added to the kingdom. Okay. And then we had intense persecution. Okay. And it amps at Nero and Demetrian who follows and some of the others. Um, but under Nero, Paul and Peter both lose their life. Um, and the church really scatters up into through this point. Um, and so they scatter to these outer regions where um, this, you know, Paul's journeys would have been. Um, and so basically when John moves to Ephesus, it's because the church has spread out. Um, and it's spread out just like Jesus told him told them to do, um, share in Jerusalem, Judea, into the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, at this point, the church is surrounding and, and all through this area to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so um, to manage the church out of Ephesus, put them at a crossroads of trade routes and mail routes. And um, it really made for an ease of communication to the rest of the body of of the church. Um, And so strategically, this was a very, very um, good place to put the church. And so this is where you have John living out his last years. Um, Okay, beloved, I pray that in all aspects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Um, we're going to pick up in verse three, for I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you were walking in truth. And then verse four is actually our key verse for this third letter of John. Uh, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. Um, and so you can mark that as your key verse. Um, you know, I have sometimes put a little key right beside it. Um, in my Bible so that I know it's kind of the key verse for a book. Um, There's different things you can do. You can write on the side of it the who, the what, the when, the where, the why. Um, So just to clarify those, the who is John, uh, the apostle that Jesus loved. Um, We have the what of this is it's a letter to Gaius, and we talked about who Gaius was. Um, But he, at this point, has been faithful to the body of Christ for close to probably 30 years at this point, 20 to 30 years, um, without losing his life, which is quite remarkable at this stage because, remember, this is in a stage of full-blown martyrdom. The last 20, 30 years of prior to this book being written were full of persecution um, and Christians losing their lives all over the place. So um, anybody that survived to this point, it's an honest-to-goodness miracle, and it is ordained by God that they they were alive at this point. Um, all right, the, the where of this is from the city of Ephesus. Uh, the when is between 85 and 95 A.D., The why of this was to praise Gaius for his loyalty to truth and to criticize um, Diotrephes for his pride. Key verse is just what we said. It is verse 4. All right. Um, Obviously, this is one chapter, so there's really no chapter divisions within this book or the book of uh, the second letter of John. All right. So we're going to pick up in verse 5. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren. 
um, and especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in the manner in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly accuse us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. He forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you in pen and ink. I hope to see you shortly and will speak to you face to face. Peace be to you, friends. The friends greet you. Greet the friends in my name. So basically, you can feel the cloaked language here um, that they are having to be secretive. Uh, one of the interesting things is that eventually the church has to go to using the ichthus sign um, to kind of know who's safe and who's not. Um, and what you would do with the ichthus, if you've not seen the ichthus, it's a little fish carving. It's um, basically a half circle one way with one flipped over top, and it's made to look like a little fish. Um, and what, what you would do is when you walked up to someone, you would draw the under, like the, the smile, the half circle. And if they knew to draw the top part um, or the other part of it, you knew that they were a follower of Christ and they were probably safe to talk to. Um, because remember, they were in a day and age where they couldn't say believer. Yep. Okay, we're good. Um, and so there was just kind of the sense of everybody was turning everybody in. It was incredibly unsafe time. Um so a couple of things that I want to point out here is how much they use cloak language in this one as well. Uh, verse 7, they went out for the sake of the name, and the name is capitalized. Um, yeah, and so you can see that this would have been a missionary crew, right, being sent out, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. That's something that Paul said a lot, is that when we were among you, we worked hard so that we would take nothing from you. Um, and then you have one who seems to be uh, in control in the church. Um, and he is trying to be the first among everybody. He does not accept what's being said, so he's rejecting authority of the apostleship. Um, he unjustly accuses with wicked words. Um, he refuses to allow others to receive the missionaries in. Um, and the ones who want to do so, he literally kicks them out of the church. Um, and so basically, Paul's encouraging them not to imitate what is evil, but what is good. And the one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Uh, you know what? This is pretty self-explanatory. How you live your life is in direct correlation with how you see 
uh, truth in the Lord. Um, these two verses, you can kind of get a feel for the day and age that they live in. And you have to keep these in context. If you try to read these with Western my eyes, you're sitting here going, truth, walk in truth. If, I mean, how we think of truth today, okay, let's, I mean, I just want you to read verse 3 in light of how we think of truth being relative for each person. Okay, I was very glad when the brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you walk in truth. Okay, listen, you cannot use our worldview to read scripture. You can't. You have got to go back to what's going on when these were written to the audience that was written. You have to have that cultural context to be able to understand what's going on in these passages. You cannot read them apart from that. Um, and so when you do, you understand that this is in the middle of profound persecution where they're having to be incredibly secretive, especially with their writings. Because remember, these letters would have been physical evidence um, in court. And so they've gotten a little bit wise at this point, and they've started guarding what they write um, to be careful. Uh, you can tell that there is a lot of false belief within the church. There's a lot. Um, we have an example of someone who is walking in arrogance. And so you can kind of see some of the things that this church is facing. And yet in the midst of this, there are that remnant of walking faithful. Um, yeah, and that brings joy to John. All right, so I'm going to close this out right there. That Today we have covered uh, the second letter of John and the third letter of John. And in both of those, I think you can see all of that cloaked language and understand that it comes directly out of um, the day and the age that, um, that they were in. It, it was a necessity to cloak language, to... Um, try to keep the recipients of the letter and the author of the letter safe. All right, that's all I got for today. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time with the book of Jude. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to OpenTheWordPodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.